0: The defense of property is a common method of justification used by defendants who argue that they should not be held liable for any loss and injury that they have caused because they were acting to protect their property. English law. Generally, in addition to the right of self-defense at common law, Section 3 of the Criminal Law Act 1967 states that a person may use such force as is reasonable in the circumstances in the prevention of crime or in arresting offenders or suspects. Insofar as an attack on property is a crime, reasonable force may be used to prevent the crime or to arrest the offender, whether it be theft of a sum of money or the damage of an object. In many cases of robbery and burglary, the threat will be to both a person and property, and this combination can be a powerful defense. In A.G.'s reference, Number 2 of 1983, 1984, Lane C.J. held that a defendant who manufactured 10 petrol bombs to defend his shop during the Toxteth riots could set up the defense of showing that he possessed an explosive substance for a lawful purpose if he could show he acted to protect himself or his family or property by means he believed reasonably necessary to meet the attack. In theory, the defense of property by itself cannot reasonably provide a justification for inflicting serious injury, but there are a number of cases approving considerable violence to arrest criminals threatening property. Although R.V. Scully, 1824, held that it was not justifiable to shoot an intruder merely to arrest him, on the facts, the life of the prisoner was threatened, and if he considered his life in actual danger, he was justified in shooting the deceased as he had done, but if, not considering his own life in danger, he rashly shot this man, who was only a trespasser, he would be guilty of manslaughter. See Self-Defense, Australia, for a comparative view on whether the use of excessive force causing death should give rise to a mitigatory defence and reform below. In Mead and Belt's case, 1823. Holroyd J. instructed a jury that violence could not be used against a civil trespasser, adding, but, the making an attack upon a dwelling, and especially at night, the law regards as equivalent to an assault on a man's person, for a man's house is his castle and therefore, in the eye of the law, it is equivalent to an assault. One recent case on using force against a burglar is Anthony Martin v. R., 2001, which resulted in the householder being convicted. As the law currently stands, a person in possession can use no more force than they reasonably believe necessary to remove a trespasser from the premises. Further, where the threat to the land or its possession is not immediate, and other measures could be taken that would make force unnecessary, for example, calling the police or seeking remedies through the courts, the defense will normally be lost. But in Chamberlain v. Linden, 1998, demolished a wall to protect a right-of-way, honestly believing that it was a reasonable means of protecting his property, and, incidentally, avoiding litigation. It was held that it was not necessary to decide whether Linden's action was justified as a matter of civil law. For the purpose of the criminal law, what mattered was whether Linden believed that his actions were reasonable. Although this case is on the specific interpretation of the statutory defense under Section 5 Criminal Damage Act 1971, the fact that the defendant was not out of time after nine months of an action is interesting. In a similar statutory defense, DPP v Bayer and others, 2004, dealt with defense of private property as a defense to aggravated trespass under Section 68 of the Criminal Justice and Public Order Act 1994. The court held that if defendants argued they had used reasonable force to defend property from actual or imminent damage that would constitute a criminal act, then the court had to consider whether, on the facts as the defendants honestly believed them to be, the force used was reasonable in all the circumstances. Reform. The defense of private defense or protective force when unlawful force is used or threatened against a person who may use proportionate force to defend persons or property is distinguished from the line of authority concerned with a similar defence against trespassers in the law commission's report number 218 offences against the person and general principles 1993 at pages 106 to 110 these defences are set out so far as they relate to defence of property as follows The use of force by a person for any of the following purposes, if only such as is reasonable in the circumstances as he believes them to be, does not constitute an offense. c. To protect his property. From trespass. d. To protect property belonging to another from, damage caused by a criminal act or, with the authority of the other, from trespass. 29-1 For the purposes of S-27. a. A person uses force in relation to. Property not only where he applies force to but also where he causes an impact on that property. Shopkeeper's privilege is a law recognized in the United States under which a shopkeeper is allowed to detain a suspected shoplifter on store property for a reasonable period of time, so long as the shopkeeper has cause to believe that the person detained in fact committed, or attempted to commit, theft of store property. Limits. The privilege to detain, although recognized in many jurisdictions, is not as broad as a police officer's privilege to arrest. If the shopkeepers exceed the bounds of this privilege and make an arrest, the lawfulness of their action will be determined by the jurisdiction's rules governing arrest by a private citizen. The shopkeeper's privilege is for the purpose of investigation only. If, after reasonable detention and investigation, the shopkeepers mistakenly conclude that the suspects are guilty and have them arrested, the shopkeepers may become liable for these acts just as they would have been had they committed the acts without undertaking a prior detention and investigation. Statutes in many states have modified and, in some cases, broadened the common law privilege, for example, by expressly permitting detention of the suspect until the police arrive. In other cases, case precedent has provided shopkeepers with similar tools. The practical effect of these extensions is to give the shopkeeper the same privilege as a police officer to make an arrest on reasonable grounds. Rationale This privilege has been justified by the practical need for some degree of protection for shopkeepers in their dealings with suspected shoplifters. Absent such privilege, a shopkeeper would be faced with the dilemma of either allowing suspects to leave without challenge or acting upon his or her suspicion and risking a false arrest. The privilege, for the most part, is to be able to return the stolen goods by determining ownership. The shopkeeper may not force a confession. The shopkeeper's privilege does not include the power of search. Some courts, however, have expanded this original common law privilege to also include the detention of criminal trespassers. He detention and removal of a criminal trespasser is an essential power of any shopkeeper or other property owner. Requisite Conditions. In seeking to avail themselves of the shopkeeper's privilege, the proprietor or agent thereof must ensure the investigation is conducted near or on the premises. The detention itself should be effected either on the store premises or in the immediate vicinity thereof. The privilege likely would not apply to after the fact questioning of a suspected thief who had left the store's property. While the common law does permit the owner of goods acting on fresh pursuit to use reasonable force to recapture his or her goods from one who actually took them wrongfully, in doing so the property owner acts at his or her own peril. Moreover, the investigation must be to determine ownership of the property, not to force a confession. The shopkeeper has reasonable grounds to suspect the particular person detained as shoplifting. Only reasonable, Non-deadly force is used to affect the detention. Such force being justified when the suspect is in immediate flight or violently resists detention. The detention itself lasts only the time necessary to make a reasonable investigation of the facts. Fifteen minutes may be too long where all that is necessary is to ask the cashier whether the detainee has paid. In cases where a shopkeeper fails to satisfy the aforementioned requisite conditions, he or she loses the privilege and may face liability under local criminal statutes and civil torts. However, So long as these conditions are established, the shopkeeper is immune from liability for false arrest, battery, etc., even when it is discovered after the investigation that the person detained was innocent of any wrongdoing. Statutory analogs. The common law shopkeeper's privilege has been superseded in most states by so-called shoplifting statutes, or merchant statutes, that allow merchants, their employees, and their agents to detain suspected shoplifters for the investigation of merchandise or property ownership, the recovery of unpurchased merchandise or property, and the summoning of a police officer. Neutral reportage is a common law defense against libel and defamation lawsuits usually involving the media republishing unproven accusations about public figures. It is a limited exception to the common law rule that one who repeats a defamatory statement is just as guilty as the first person who published it. Defendants using the defense can claim that they are not implying the offending statement is true but simply reporting in a neutral manner, that the potentially libelous statements were made, even if they doubt the accuracy of the statement. For the defense to succeed, it is almost always required for the reporting to be unbiased and in the public interest. History. In U.S. defamation law it is traditional for a court to consider the publishing and republishing of defamatory statements indistinguishable on the grounds that the republished statements have potential to cause as much harm to a person as the original publication. The doctrine of neutral reportage was established on the basis that the press should not be liable for republishing allegations made by a responsible speaker about public figures providing it is done in a neutral manner and is newsworthy. Edwards v. National Audubon Society The case of Edwards v. National Audubon Society in 1977 is largely recognized as the first major case in which the idea of neutral reporting was used. The case concerned the reporting of a dispute between the National Audubon Society and a group of scientists that it had accused of being paid to lie by pesticide companies regarding the effects of pesticides on birds. The New York Times, while attempting to report both sides of the dispute, was sued by several of the scientists. A federal appellate court recognized that the reporting was both neutral and in the public interest. United States law. The neutral reportage privilege has not been widely adopted by all states and courts. U.S. District Judge Marilyn Patel stated that there is a great deal of inconsistency among state court decisions in 2006. During the case of McCall v. Courier-Journal, the Kentucky Supreme Court rejected the defense stating it had not been approved by the U.S. Supreme Court, which in turn refused to review the case. In 2004, Pennsylvania Supreme Court ruled that neither the Pennsylvania Constitution nor the United States Constitution provided such a defense. These two states, together with Michigan, New York, and California, have rejected the defense, while Florida is among the few states that has accepted it. Whereas in Illinois, one appellate court recognized the principle and another did not demonstrate the inconsistency of the defense even within the same state. United Kingdom law In the United Kingdom, the defense is often known as the Reynolds defense after a 1994 case, where the Irish Taoiseach Albert Reynolds sued the Sunday Times over an article claiming he had misled Parliament. The case was a landmark in British libel law after the House of Lords decided in 1997 to allow the media to plead the Reynolds defense meaning they could print potential libel if they could prove that it is in the public interest and responsible. According to the libel book Gatley on libel and slander it extends at least to the attributed and neutral reporting of allegations and counter-allegations by parties to a political dispute in which the public has a legitimate interest. Notable cases. While the validity of the defense is questioned, it has been used successfully in some cases while in others the defendants have failed to convince judges that they are protected by the defense. Failures. Troy Publishing Company v. Norton, 2005. Khalid Iqbal Kaur v. Globe International Incorporated, and George Galloway M.P. vs. Telegraph Group Ltd. Successes. Edwards v. National Audubon Society, 1977. Al Faga v. HH. Saudi Research and Marketing, U.K., Ltd., 2001. Christopher and Barry Roberts v. Searchlight Magazine. Global Relief Foundation v. Multiple Defendants all reporters or news organizations including New York Times, ABC, Boston Globe and Associated Press. Watson v. Leach, 1996, newspaper report that a state auditor accused a town trustee of faking a snow emergency to gain access to emergency funds. Celebreze v. Netsley, 1988, A newspaper report that a political campaign brochure accused the county's Italian American judges of having mafia connections. McCracken v. Gainesville Tribune, Inc., 1978, a land developer calling another developer unscrupulous during a town meeting. Barbara Schwartz v. The Salt Lake Tribune. In May 2003, the Salt Lake Tribune, of Salt Lake City, Utah, published an article entitled SL Woman's Quest Strains Public Records System documenting Salt Lake City resident Barbara Schwartz's extensive pursuit of FOIA records. Schwartz sued the Tribune, claiming that the Tribune's use of yellow journalism resulted in malicious defamation, emotional abuse and was accomplished by deceiving her into giving an interview, unauthorized use of her photo, violation of privacy, refusing to print a correction or letter to the editor, in addition to theft of approximately 100 photos and negatives. In its ruling the three-member court stated. The public interest in being fully informed about controversies that often rage around sensitive issues demands that the press be afforded the freedom to report such charges without assuming responsibility for them. Judge James Z. Davis further wrote that the Tribune article was protected by the neutral reportage privilege because it contains accurate and disinterested reporting of the information contained in the record. Her suit was dismissed and her appeals denied.